Hello, everybody. My name is Benjamin Kitchings, and you're listening to the History Voyager. I'm here with Brendan Black, who you you might remember him from his podcast we did about his podcast about agriculture called Talk Ag hey, how's it to going? Me. How's that podcast doing? It's doing well. It's it's uh, it's been busy. I'm on a bit of a break of it right now, but I'm yeah, hoping cool, for it to cool. come back during the first All week right, of September. But, uh, I'm not I gotta, sure when this episode's going up, but it should I'm be back within the next month or so. I'm talking to people about the young folks of America, and you said you uh, get around them for your job, or how how exactly do you get mm. around children, young people? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I am currently studying to be a high school teacher, high school agriculture teacher. And for the past four years in preparation for that, I've had the opportunity to coach, mentor, teach, and work with high school students of all different ages and backgrounds to teach them valuable skills about agriculture, whether it be taking care of livestock, public speaking, um, job interview skills, leadership development, and a variety of other skills and and information uh, so first subjects of all, that fall into um, that category. We're talking Generation Z, right? We're talking the Zoomers. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What do you notice? What's are there any predominant trends you notice with these people? Or mm-hmm. predominant Behavior trends interests. pertaining to like their behavior like or their interests or what what uh, what particularly you're looking for. Well, one of the things that I've noticed is, and maybe this is just something that falls into this age group in general, but uh, there's this distinct fear to try new things. Uh, this is something that I even fell into when I was in high school, but I've noticed a lot of students are like just terrified to try something that they haven't done before. Uh, getting them outside of that comfort zone is one of the biggest challenges for any teacher, but if you can get them there, usually they get so excited about it that they just want to do as much as they can as, mu- as fast as possible which is really cool to watch, but it's it's something that's really interesting because you could have a student who comes from a really, you know, difficult background who maybe didn't have the most support growing up or maybe uh, didn't have the most uh, advantage in their in their life and, or somebody who came from an extremely well-off background and had a ton oh. of support and they could have the exact same fears and have the exact same challenges in the same types of situations. So seeing seeing that trend of being afraid of new things or, or being you know lacking confidence in certain skills and areas is something that kind of supersedes your so you position in life or your background it's just something we all kind of go through and it's really interesting watching each of them go through it separately yeah i i think so yeah. i mean i i'm not entirely sure because i haven't been able to work with other generations enough to really see it as prevalent in, in them. It very well could be something that's just specifically in this current generation, uh, especially with how little exposure they get to the outside world anymore, just because of things like social media and technology. But also the, it, it really I mean, seems to one me of that this is something were, that one of the reoccurring generation. I guess but again, I, I could be or wrong. whatever on my show is we talk about COVID and how COVID might be shaping people or whatever, you know, and that's something we've talked about, not you and me specifically, but Mm -hmm. people have talked about over and over again. 
So how are they with technology, these, these young folks? Yeah. Usually yeah. they're very strong in technology. And like you mentioned, COVID definitely has an impact on a lot of aspects of their behavior. Right. I actually, um, I started working with one group of students before COVID yeah. and a different group of students right after COVID. And you could just see how heavily that impacted their um, confidence in, you know, in their own abilities and, and their social abilities. Uh, overall, their strengths and certain skills diminished, but their confidence in technology grew over mm-hmm. time. It seemed a lot of them are very... Uh, confident in using things like remote um, remote access to information and remote access to communication, but overall, it seems like they're they're technologically incredibly advanced, but they lack a lot of personal skills that can make that technology even more useful to them. So they may know how to look things up, but they don't know how to do research. They may know how to communicate with others and they might, through Facebook, but they can't have what, an in person conversation. They may know how to record a video, but they don't like, know how to give a speech. They might so not know what there are certain the value of research. Sorry, go ahead. They might not understand the value of why research is valuable or what have mm-hmm. you. Yeah, no, for real, for real. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I would definitely agree with that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and and I've seen that mm-hmm. with, you know, the students I work with, a lot of the teams that we do uh, are very research heavy. You know, they really need to know their stuff for this and, they don't fully understand why research can can add value to their presentations, to their performances, to yeah. their activities until they do it, and then they realize just yeah. how much better they feel having yeah, that they, knowledge. And all of a sudden, they they're able to go a, and conquer whatever task they're trying to do. Uh, so I think you're right. I think there. there's a bit of a disparity in, um, in the value of research. Have they told you any of their concerns about the wider world, or or not? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's kind of a mixed bag. You have some mm-hmm. students that are, you know, completely oblivious to the outside world. They just kind of focus on schoolwork or on projects or on friends or whatever. And then you have some that they are terrified to leave high school. You know, they, they don't know what else is waiting out there for them. They don't know how to handle growing up. And it's it's always interesting uh-huh. to see how those differences kind of materialize in, in their behaviors in, in class. But I've heard some students that are terrified of, the state of the world. I've heard some students that are incredibly hopeful for the future. Yeah. I've heard some students that just want to see all the new technology the coming out, all the new methods and practices being used in, in what different are they industries. Terrified of? It takes so many different forms. I, you know, yeah. it, they say they're terrified of some things. In, in reality, I think they're just terrified of the unknown, like most people. Um, they're they're just not sure of what is going to happen next. You know, I've I've had students that say they're terrified mm. of uh, certain types of people they're going to run into. They're terrified of mm. going into college and having to conquer that beast. You know, they're they're terrified of moving on and having to get a you know a, an adult job. Um, really, some of them are terrified of you know just mundane things like having to have daily conversations with people. Um, some of them are are unsure. Yeah, it's it's really you know the there are some that are are you know just experts in in terms of their communicative abilities and they're scared of things that are out of their control and there are some that are very confident about things that are out of their control and and yet they i mean i remember daily conversation well i was always a talking interesting yeah um i was talking about that today with somebody like you've always been a talkative person um 
But yeah, like I remember like the strong silent type when I was mm. a kid. But is it more than that? <laughs> is it is it does it get into awkwardness or mm. there is definitely a line. There are strong silent types, and strong silent types are yeah. definitely useful in certain situations. They know how to they know when to be silent and when to speak up. Um but there are some that definitely are unable to yeah. speak up when they want to. You know, there's there's social anxiety involved. There's, um, you know, social awkwardness. There's you know, really? fear of, of rejection. There's fear of being wrong. That's a huge thing right now. Kids are terrified of being wrong. You know, they, they could have studied. Yeah, I, I've had students that have studied a subject for four years. You know, they're seniors in high school. They know it better than anybody else in their grade. And I'll ask them a very basic question and they won't answer it no matter how much they know it because they're terrified of being wrong. And I'm, you know, that's something I've been trying to figure out. Um, I really, I think it's just that, that humiliation of not, not being perfect. You know, they, they feel pressured that they need to be perfect with everything they do. And whether that's on the parents or society or their peers or their teachers, whatever it is, something is encouraging them or, or rather discouraging them from, from making mistakes. Um, and wow. so anytime they make a mistake, they just beat themselves up over it. Why they have no idea how to so, handle being wrong or making mistakes. So odd. Yeah. It is. And it's something that is even going outside of uh -huh. like high school students. I know, you know, other people in college right now that are, are definitely struggling with that same kind of idea. You know, they, they may be very talkative, social people outside and very confident oh. in their knowledge, but you put them in a classroom and have them answer a question about something very basic and simple and they'll freeze up. You know, some, there are some that may even think that, I'm you know, like they're being asked a trick question. People. Like it's too easy. There's no way that's the answer. It's like, and it is. I'm not, you just got to have some confidence in yourself. To Gen, to Gen Zers, I'm talking to, mm. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm not a millennial. No, it, it's... I'm talking to millennials, and I've talked to some people that literally, like, it can't be that easy. Like, no, no, it actually is mm -hmm. that that easy. Wow, Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. And it's something that I just don't. I haven't wrapped my head around just yet because you know nobody wants to be wrong. Nobody wants to make mistakes, but. This mistakes is true. are something that you are very beneficial because that they you know they teach you more than success will right, and you'll have you'll have students, yeah exactly, and I've had students that are in leadership positions that will so, preach that like they'll the, say you know it's good to make mistakes it's good to mess the up theory of but they won't do it themselves the, they're terrified the, of making mistakes no matter how much value they see in it. <laughs> Not done with the practice of making mistakes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, right. I, I exactly. It. I feel it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Right. You know, it's it. Mm. Yeah, and it's almost like they, you know, it's almost like that fear is holding them back. Like they may know fundamentally. What are? Yeah, it's you know, it's okay, important let me, to make mistakes, let's drill, let's but they can't bring themselves that. to do it because what they're scared of What are some of, of the consequences they're afraid you know, of? And it's. Hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I really, I believe personally from seeing interactions between students and their parents, students and their uh -huh. peers, that people are just, 
are fearful of social rejection. And so oh. the consequences are entirely internal. You know, they, they, they are afraid of failing themselves or being disappointed in themselves. They're, they're afraid of other people being disappointed in them. You know, there may be no physical consequence to, to getting a question wrong. It's not like they're going to fail the class, but they act as though they may because they're just so disappointed that they didn't get it right the first time or they're so ashamed that, you know, somebody had yeah. to see them at, at a weak point. You know, they're, they're afraid of being Trump. weak in front of others, being vulnerable. And I'm not, I, I honestly think that's something that is kind of instilled their... in them from social interactions, but it's hard to say. Yeah, I think it's heavier on the parent side. I think that a lot of students are fearful of of disappointing their parents. Um, but I yeah. know some that are are afraid of you know they have a reputation of being the smart kid, and so they maybe that, don't want to yeah. be right. Um, you know they they don't right, want right. to seem as though they're um, not the smart kid in front of you know their peers. That could definitely play in a role. Is your as well. community is it, is it more? I think well, well, okay. Mm -hmm. I remember you talking to me, and I remember you said like your community is basically a rural. Um, a farming community is that right um so how much of this is that like how much mm -hmm. of this is like yeah the, definitely the, i guess the the common perception of the strong farmer or the whatever like like that i mean i'm just thinking you know just thinking out loud hmm that's an interesting question yeah um uh yeah, I think that there's there's a potential to that some of it, you know, some of these kids oh, come right. from powerful families yeah. you know, in the community and very popular families. And so uh, it's almost like they don't want to disrespect their family name in a sense. Um, but there's also, you know, I, I see it in even students who, you know, are, are kind of lesser known or even completely unknown to the community, you know, kids who okay. don't really have like a like a you know recognizable face or a recognizable name that are still struggling with this. So I, I think that there may be an impact in one regard, but maybe separate social sense. influences are having everybody kind of impact and they're just kind of everybody kind of mimics the, I guess the popular people or the, I guess like the powerful families in the community or whatever. Yeah. I, I get that. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So your community, it's, I mean, I think we've established here in California. So California wasn't like where I live, not where I live, but in my state, am, yes. you can have people like you can have people that practically came off the boat from England and they're still here. Like they still are still in that little town. Uh, do you happen to know when your town was settled? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, so I live in Tulare, California, which is right in the Central Valley, uh, pretty much smack dab in the middle of the state. Um, and okay. I don't know the exact year that it was founded, but it was during the gold rush. Uh, so it was back in the, you know, late 17 or the 1800s. Um, I, yeah, I really couldn't give you a, a strong, you know, a strong year on that. I will say though, it was founded by a few different you know, ethnic communities. We actually oh. are made up mostly of uh, Portuguese immigrants, um, Mexican immigrants, and uh, yeah. Dutch immigrants. And then we also have some uh, people who who were settlers from Oklahoma that moved westward. We call them Okies over here. 
but yeah, so most of my community is made up of farming communities from uh, a couple different European countries and then the southern border. Um, and so that's that's kind of what our community has always been. Most of the families here are, you know, very prevalent Portuguese families that are all basically all related to each other. Hmm. And you have the Dutch families that are also all related to yeah. each other. Well, and the, then the, the rest of them are kind of mixes like of Dutch, Portuguese, well Mexican, and, and Oki or some other family. combinations here and there. Um, See what I'm saying? Like, Uh, definitely quite a few generations. Um, I believe, well, I'm not sure what the oldest family is in, in Tulare, but there's okay. definitely some, some families here okay, who've so, been yeah. at least farming for, you know, six, seven, eight generations at the very least. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, it's definitely had some, I just did a Google search here. It seems like Tulare was founded in 1852. Um, oh, sorry. That's the county was founded in 1852. The town was 1872 that was founded so it's been around for some time and those um those portuguese communities have definitely existed here for a very very long time you can I mean, still see you know California a lot of the history that the came spanish with them from initially. from the azores um, and from the islands so so maybe maybe some spanish settlers too or mm -hmm. yeah it's possible um i think that the spanish settlers were mostly outside of the valley uh, mostly along the coast that's why a lot of the a lot of the coastal cities have spanish names um but in the central valley a lot of that was a lot a lot of the more agricultural land was founded uh, it may have been initially by spaniards never, but uh, over time was oh, overtaken by the of, portuguese and, and the um portuguese the dutch people in california you know settling wow huh Yeah. So, and that might've been some, some time later, but, um, you know, every, every bit of history I know about Tulare is about the, um, the earliest settlers being, being Portuguese. Yeah. So, uh, it, like I said, it's very possible the Spaniards may have settled the town and the Portuguese huh. came in later, but ask, it was not, up, it was not much later. You know, the Portuguese have been here about as long as anybody for, else. Like... Exactly. You know, <laughs> I was a very shy kid initially, which may come as a surprise considering I now run a podcast. Um, but I, you know, up up until the time I was in high school, I was terrified of just about everything. Yeah. Um, you know, very, very socially awkward, very afraid to talk to adults, afraid to talk to pretty much anybody. Um, and I pretty much, I, I was a very curious kid. So I would constantly read, I would constantly do research on things and play outside and, and yeah. learn more about nature. But I was never very vocal about my my interests or about my curiosity until i got older and i was taught through my high school agriculture programs how to how to speak how to be more confident in myself how to conduct leadership activities and that sort of thing and from there i've, I've been very vocal and very open to trying new things and trust me i'm still very hesitant to, to try things from time to time what but i try to push myself outside of that comfort zone as much as possible like, um, but it was definitely not an easy thing for me to do initially Mm. That's actually one of my favorite tools to use as a teacher, you know, using relatability to help these students understand that I'm not much yeah. different than they are. Uh, a lot of what I see is, uh, like I mentioned, that fear. Um, like I was absolutely terrified of public yeah. speaking when I was younger. Now it's one of my favorite things to do. I'm actually preparing for a, a speech that I'm supposed to give on, give on Tuesday. Um, but it's 
using that fear and using that that lack of confidence in myself as a as an example for my students, I can definitely use that to help them understand that, hey, you can see me now. I'm naturally a very confident person, naturally a very outspoken person. I was not always this way. You know, you you can you can see my transition through the through the stories that I tell. Um I overcame a lot of my shyness and a lot of my uh, initial anxiety through a lot of practice and a lot of hard work. But most of it is I see kids who are very curious. I always like, you know, capitalizing on that because curiosity is a prime driving force in all of my actions. Um, So helping other kids who are curious achieve those same things is always a, a big goal of mine. And I see kids who are have a lot of potential because of either skills they have or interests that they have and don't know how to actualize that potential. Um, and in my opinion, that's one of the greatest skills of a teacher is being able to identify potential and actualize it. That's what my teachers did for me. And so being someone who has been told has a lot of potential and being taught how to actualize it, I now try to transition that into my yeah. teaching style with my students, how to show them where yeah. their potential I mean, is and how to actualize know, that into action, into skill or action or you know anything else they may want you know, to turn what into. What about um, are a lot of your kids uh, are a lot of the students there uh, multilingual or? Yeah, um, there there are quite a few students who are either uh, native Spanish speakers or they, they speak Spanish as a second language. There are quite a few who speak Portuguese as a first or second language. Yeah. Um, there are a couple others here and there, some yeah, random languages, I, but I mostly Spanish there and Portuguese. You have, that's one of the other places in America. Uh, secondary in the or US even anymore. primary languages in some instances. You can have native Spanish speakers that have always been there. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and most of i, I find a so, lot of california is like that a lot of native spanish speakers you, when you look at these kids where do you do you see them how do you see so, them growing in the, what, what challenges mm. i guess do you see them having as adults just all just the kids in general you mean the the native spanish speakers or just all the kids Mm. Well, you know, I think that a lot of them are going to find the same challenges that many people find when growing into adulthood. And that's just that, you know, that transitionary period of kind of figuring out when you're when you're no longer a kid and and how to adopt that responsibility. Um, That's one of my one of my biggest goals right now is to try to help my students understand the value of responsibility, what it can do for them and how they can adopt responsibility in small ways now so that way as they grow adopting larger responsibility is not as much of a a daunting task and so that that's one of the issues that i see a lot of adults facing now is is adopting responsibility and maintaining that that responsibility as they go through their day um so i'm hoping that my students don't struggle with that but i I think it's something that you see so your students are are they internet active i guess they are yeah. In fact, I think you said, I'm going to put words in your mouth here, but I think mm-hmm. you said that's yeah, kind definitely. Of the problem with some of these kids. Like, they're, they're too internet active. Yeah. At times, yeah. Um, there are some that know how to use it appropriately, but there are many that. Uh, kind of get entranced by That's it, and they don't let's, let's they don't pay enough attention to the outside world, and they, they're say, not quite uh, sure how to take it when they do. Appropriately, what what do you think the appropriate use of the internet 
actually mm-hmm. is. So I think that the internet is kind of a, a dual-edged sword. You know, it, it has the added advantage of being incredibly useful for immediate information and research as long as it's done mm-hmm. properly, um, for instant communication with anybody around the world at any given time. Yeah. I mean, that's how we met, of course. And also, you know, immediate access to news as it's updated, you know. So as someone who's very very, very focused on research and communication primarily. I see the internet as a very useful tool. The problem is it's really easy to get distracted by all of the pop-ups, all of the ads, all the things on YouTube that are colorful and shiny and, you know, all the things on Facebook or Instagram that are, you know, attractive to people who don't, who don't know better. It's really easy to kind of fall into rabbit holes and just get stuck on the internet and you get nothing done all day besides look at pictures online. Um, so there is a right and a wrong way to use the internet, in my opinion. And I think that the internet's a, an incredibly valuable tool as long as you have the self-restraint to not get in, sucked into that okay. trap. But a lot of the kids of today's generation do get sucked into that trap, unfortunately. But increasingly, I'm, I'm interested to know TikTok. Uh, I guess they like TikTok because they're, that's the generation that popularized TikTok anyway. Mm-hmm. Um. Have you noticed how if TikTok is affecting them in some way or? Mm-hmm. Okay, talk about that. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So I, um, being a podcaster, I've looked into other avenues of content creation um, and I have experimented with TikTok and I've looked into some of the ways that it's being used. And I firmly believe that TikTok, well, it can be a useful tool for educational purposes or, you know, for quick entertainment. Um, I find that because of the short format of the videos, it's really easy to get kids just stuck watching for hours and, you know, they're not able to, to get themselves out of it. I find myself stuck in doing that at times. You know, I'll, I'll open it to watch one video and I'm stuck there for an hour. And, and before I know it, I've, I've lost half my day. Um, yeah. So it's it's one of those things that I can't say I blame them, but it's it's something that's really important to be conscious of and try to stop it when it happens. Um, and I think it's honestly, I think it's shortening attention spans the of students. Noticed, they're, they're not able know, to pay attention to things for as long. You know, it, it is problematic. Being trained to watch gonna, shorter and shorter I mean, videos. I think the content creators of TikTok are are interesting, and at least the ones I've seen are interesting. And I think there's some amazingly talented people. All right. But I, I separate mm-hmm. like tick the content creators themselves from TikTok the app yeah. and how the app is run by China and you know I'm suspicious of just how the amount of data they're collecting mm-hmm. and where that data is going um, you know but what I wish they would do is like I use TikTok yeah. to promote my podcast I wish they would have a way like if i just want to log into the back of tiktok i just mm-hmm. want to see the back i you know i don't want to laugh i don't want to laugh at the lady who there's a really funny mm-hmm. creator who like does she talks about what, what her dog is thinking <laughs> like but as her dog and she's so hilarious like she's just so funny but mm-hmm. you know <laughs> Like, um, yeah, but so I've heard about some of these, uh, 
bad um i think they call them tiktok challenges but like you know, hit a teacher beat it you know all like that i haven't seen that but have you have you seen that? yeah oh yeah I haven't seen them, but I have heard about them. I have teacher friends who have been kind of the victims of some of these challenges. It is. Luckily, nothing dangerous. Um, I've had teachers who have had things stolen out of their classrooms because of the challenge. Um, I've had teachers that have seen students steal things out of other parts of the school. Um, I think there was one I heard about. A a student stole a sink out of a school bathroom, Um, which... That's it's slightly impressive um, in terms of their ingenuity, but I mean, I'm not okay. Wait, I'm not still, like, why? Don't, don't why is that a challenge? Don't do that. <laughs> it is <laughs> right. You can say something's impressive and still be against it, but um, no, it's just like I, I've heard of these things happening, and I I haven't come across that side of TikTok myself, but I have heard of very negative influences that some of these kids are, are being under. And I think that that's just something that like content creators need to be again, responsible for some of the things that they're doing and they're having an impact on, you know, these kids who are yeah. wanting to, you know, do these and crazy things they see on the internet a, without a realizing the ramifications it's having on the people where, that are affected by those actions. Empathy. And I mean, one of the, one of the easiest conversations to have it is. with adults is how kids can be cruel. Um, and I'm sure you you can talk about that if you want, but I'm sure mm-hmm. kids you've seen kids being cruel. What what are the discipline? Um, I'm sorry, you were gonna say something. Oh, what what are some no, of the I, discipline? I was just gonna agree with you. I've, I've definitely experienced some uh, some cruelty by students. Kids or for, First but of all, where anyways, do you encounter? Where do you? I mean, are they in an educational setting when you meet them, or where? Okay. Uh, so for the students that I work with, they're mostly in semi-educational settings. I would say uh, they're not in like a classroom during the school hours, but uh, we are on campus after school hours. Um, you know, usually on on the school farm or we might be in in an empty classroom working on speeches or, you know, kind of in like a computer lab. Um, So that's the typical environment that I work with my students. Uh, So I would say like, you know, if you're asking about disciplinary, you know, actions and and kind of some of the disciplinary issues that they deal with, luckily I'm in a position where they, they're choosing to come and work with me. So it's not, you know, I'm not, I'm not working with students who are forced to be there. So I don't have quite as many, behavioral issues that I would need to discipline. Um, Ironically enough, a lot of the disciplinary issues I see with students is within themselves. They don't know how to discipline themselves. Um, Well, I think that a lot of times students will fall into habits that are, are, you know, unhealthy for their task or whatever they're trying to accomplish, whether it be procrastination or distraction or, you know, they let themselves, uh, you know, get, get too far focused on one project and then they forget about their other projects, you know? So there are certain levels of, of discipline, self-discipline that are necessary for a student to be able to remain productive. And some of that self-discipline is being able to take a break, you know, being able to not work on things there. I know students who way overwork themselves and way over overload their schedules and 
being someone who does that quite frequently, it's not a good thing to, to be able to do. Um, and so having that self-discipline is almost, almost as important, if not more right. important than I you know, too, like, being able to act in a way that wouldn't allow yeah, you to be disciplined up, by your teacher. You basically have to learning when to take a break is just as important. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I think is beginning to be encouraged more, you know, students are beginning to be encouraged to take more breaks, but it's, you know, I still see students that are so eager to get stuff done, or again, they feel pressured to do uh, certain activities, and they just, they burn themselves out incredibly quickly. And it's really difficult for them to maintain productivity when they're burnt out like that. So I, I, um, I often tell my students, you know, we'll work for an hour or so. And they say, all right, take a brain break. Don't, you know, don't let yourself get too overloaded. Let's come back to this in a few minutes and try again. Uh, Cause I can just see them getting worn out. I see them getting tired, but they don't want to quit because they feel like they need, you know, they need to prove themselves or they need to get this yeah. project done or yeah. whatever the case may be. They What's won't let the, themselves. So farming you know, is relax that the main for, industry for in your community or, or like what? Yeah, uh, most mostly you know oh. different forms of agriculture. Dairy production is huge, and then we have like some nuts yeah, and corn. So that that's well. I mean, so we're talking agrarian um, situations. So um, mm-hmm. these kids, yeah, today, uh, What kind of discipline problems have you seen? Um. I mean, really, like like I said, with with the activities I'm doing with them, they're not. The activities are all voluntary, so a lot of them are not feeling the need to act out a whole lot. Um, a lot of the times, I'll have students, you know, that maybe it's not necessarily that they didn't listen to what I said, but they just kind of weren't paying attention, and so like they'll, you know, go into an action and do it wrong, and I'll explain it to them again, and they kind of just don't, you know, don't fully understand what I'm saying, or, or again, they're not listening. Um, so at, at times there's, there's discipline, you know, to be had there, which is, you know, I have them do a certain activity or, you know, I have them, like if they're working with livestock, I have them walk their, you know, livestock a certain distance or have them set them up a certain way. Or, you know, if they're, yeah. if they're getting a little bit too confident in certain areas, I'll like take away some of their tools yeah. and, and let them figure out how to do a task without their tools. And, you know, so there's like little things like that. Um, but I've never had to like, you know, be necessarily so what kind you know, of very disciplinary against my students in any in, in any you kind of capacity that would be meaningful. So, what a lot of mm. Um, mm. schools in my area will have are sheep, goats, pigs, mm-hmm. uh, beef cattle, dairy cattle, bunnies, chickens. You know, pretty much all all types of traditional livestock. Um, I mostly work with beef cattle. That's I, I grew up working with dairy cattle, so I'm very comfortable with dairy cattle, but beef cattle are kind of the, the area that I have the most expertise in. Uh, so I coach the beef showmanship team for a couple of oh, the local so, FFA okay. chapters. Now and I'm going to learn something. Um, so I help students work with their, so with their steers, their beef steers. Beef cattle versus heifers. dairy cattle. I mean, obviously, obviously. All right. <laughs> one of the differences, the extra milk comes coming mm-hmm. out of the – the the heifers or did I say that? I'm a city kid heifers right okay so a cow <laughs> so uh, okay 
A heifer is a okay. female that hasn't had so, a baby okay. yet. So when she has a baby, she's a cow. So I did not uh, know cow, that, that yeah. a heifer had not had a cow. So or had not had a calf. Now I do. I you know, thank you for edu- <laughs> you can't learn unless you make a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, there there gets to be an age where literally mistakes is how you learn primarily. Just exactly. saying. Exactly. Just saying. Please do. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll be Please using that do. example in my classroom. So, heifers. I mean, there I go again. Cows. Awesome. Dairy cows yeah. with, the, um, with the cow. No. With the milk. Yeah. And you have the bulls, right? And yep. so the bulls, obviously, so mm-hmm. they're, they do they get sold off for meat or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in dairy cattle, so this is actually kind of kind of a newer, well, relatively new, about ten years old, I would say. Uh, a technology that we've been using in the dairy industry for a little bit now. Uh, we can actually um, alter the the um, the cells of the the dairy cow whenever we breed her, and so she has a like ninety nine percent chance of having a female calf. So we can pretty much minimize our production of bulls entirely. Uh, so we only keep bulls for breeding now, and then occasionally, if we have a bull that comes out, wow. then yeah, we'll sell them off for meat, or we might okay. raise them up into Nobody a, a steer, and then we sell them off at, for meat. And that's that amazing. Uh, yeah. Well, somebody said, like, I got a review <laughs> on some review place, and well, this is my job. They said, you know, I learn a lot from Ben's podcast. Well, I'm I'm glad you do, but nobody learns more than me. As I listen to all of them as they're being recorded. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> be sure to listen to all of them, kids. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah. awesome. But um, so, OK, yeah. so. <laughs> so uh, and the, the meat cows yeah. that you're raising as meat, they're they're bigger, they're more muscular. OK, OK. Typically, yeah. So if you look at a dairy cow versus a beef cow, um, typically with with beef cattle, we use cows just for breeding and we use steers for for beef quality. Um, And for anyone who doesn't know, a steer is a bull who has been castrated, so they no longer are able to reproduce. Um, And that is done for a few different reasons, but mostly it makes their meat a lot more tolerable and a lot easier to eat. Because um, when they're a bull, they're just really, really tough. Is that because and they really, the muscular, you know, the muscular density? Um, or? And so we'll we'll castrate them, turn them into a steer, and that makes their meat taste a lot better. Mm-hmm. So, so that's mostly due to the testosterone production. Ah. Um, we castrate them at a pretty young age, so they won't produce testosterone after a certain period of time. And that helps their, their meat kind of soften. So they'll grow muscle and fat at a more regulated rate, whereas a bull will grow just obscene amounts of fat or a, a muscle incredibly quickly, making their meat really, really tough and really difficult okay. to eat and just not quite as, as high quality. Um, and so that's, that's the primary pur- purpose of castration. Uh, but if we're comparing beef and dairy animals, dairy animals are typically going to be a lot taller, quite a bit skinnier, um, larger, you know, larger skeleton, larger structural frame. Beef cattle are going to be a lot shorter and a lot fatter and a lot stockier uh, because, you know, they're they're carrying a lot of beef. 
Um, dairy cows, their whole purpose is to carry babies and milk. Beef cows, their whole Let purpose is to grow meat on their body. You, so you you're going to see those cow? differences pretty, you know, pretty obviously whenever you look oh. at them. Okay. Mm-hmm. I have, and actually you have too. <laughs> so it's, it's not a super well-known fact, but if you've ever huh. eaten fast food, you know, McDonald's cheeseburger or anything like that, you've eaten dairy cows. Um, so beef uh the beef the beef that we get from beef cattle are primarily used for higher quality steaks and burgers like in your steakhouse uh dairy cattle are used to make all the other meat so for fast food burgers for taco bell tacos for all of that meat comes from dairy cattle for the most part um so arby's do you know what arby's is um so that's dairy cattle yep that's all dairy cattle i do yep we've got arby's over here that's all dairy cattle too. <laughs> um, yeah. Unless they advertise having a pure Angus burger, which some places do, and Get that is actually town. beef cattle. Um, so unless it's advertised as oh, beef cattle, no, it's more than likely going to be dairy blow cattle. My mind constantly, but go ahead. <laughs> you want me to blow your mind one more time? <laughs> So get this, uh, most of the beef that we produce in the United States, uh, actually doesn't even go into our markets. We don't, we don't eat most of our own beef. Um, yeah, so we (laughs) Americans, believe it or not, are actually not quite that picky. Um, we are, but not for beef. Uh, so we will actually ship our beef off and export it to Japan because they will pay high dollar for our beef because we do a really good job of producing it. Um, and then we buy all of our beef from mostly Australia. There are some domestic markets that we actually buy from here in the U.S., but most of the beef that you eat that's like Get actual high-quality beef that you'll that? have in like a steakhouse probably okay. came from Australia. I did know that, that um, at least as of a couple of years <laughs> ago, like the U.S. beef did not meet China's importation standards. I don't know. I don't know if that's still the case, but I know it used to be the case. Yes, that is accurate. Uh, China has some really, really strict quality measures on on their food. So even though we may meet most other countries' quality measures, there's there's certain trade agreements that we just haven't quite met yet. Um, but Japan is one of our biggest importers of, of wow. a lot of our products, especially beef. And so we mostly go through China's Japan. We won't go food through, much, standards uh, through China like, so why much. Why are they so strict? Or- Okay. It depends on the commodity. Um, specifically with beef, I don't know, but I know that China, because of how large their population is and because of how agriculturally productive they are themselves, they are also a big exporter. And so they won't really import a whole lot from other countries just because they have so much to get rid of. Um, and so that could be a, a big motivator for that. But there's also, again, yeah. because of how large their population is, they're very particular with their food safety standards, um, just to make sure everyone stays healthy. Um, and so there's there's specific regulations on certain types of, of beef and, and certain type and certain types of crops that get imported in that they um, just don't pass. So it's not that our our beef, our beef is high, is you know low quality by any means. It's just that whatever yeah. they are looking for in the market is not what we're producing. And so they're yeah, kind of just neat. okay. We're, we're so, gonna pass um, on to you guys. We're just gonna make our own because we're already doing. Why don't it, you? So. Why don't you tell us about your podcast? Because I know yeah. about it, but I guarantee <laughs> you, I have listeners that don't. 
Yeah, definitely. So uh, as we mentioned towards the beginning of this episode, it is called Talk Ag to Me. It's T-A-L-K-A-G-T-O-M-E. And uh, it's available anywhere on, on any kind of podcasting quite platform. You know, it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, yeah. and all those different places. Um, <laughs> I have sure been trying. But uh, yeah, so all of the different things that we talked about today, including the you know conversations about beef and about you know exports and imports, all of that that strange ag knowledge that you may or may not have been interested in, that's mostly what I cover on my show. My show is all about connecting the consumer or the city person and or thi- you know whatever you want to call them, people who don't come from agricultural backgrounds, connecting them to their food and how it's grown and what goes into producing it. Because I believe I it's important that everyone knows what the comes from. I thought the city folks didn't understand what the what the agriculture people were dealing with and i think that's a good i i applaud that i want you to know that i applaud what you're mm-hmm. doing because i i really really do because we're whether we want to admit this or not we're all in the same country together well i appreciate that and you know the city people have have issues they're dealing with and the country people have issues they're dealing with and we're mm-hmm. not going to be able to come together until we can, like, you know, see what the other person's trying to do. Yep. Just saying. Just saying. Yep. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, and to your point there, I mean, I think right. there's a lot about the... You know the urban dwellers that that us in agriculture don't even fully understand, and so I'm really trying to work as a bridge of communication between those two, well, Brandon, you know, those two groups, helping us all understand each um, other's perspectives and, like and needs and, and all those different concerns and two hundred sort of thing. Two hundred odd times, um, I'm having a good day, and I hope you are too. All right, hang on the line with me, and I'm gonna download this sucker. All right.